This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, December 3rd, 2020, and I have two special guests today. I have Ziad Ashgar of Qualcomm here to discuss all things Snapdragon. Hi, Ziad. Hi, Miriam. Very nice to be here on with you guys and excited to share all the details. Fantastic. And I have David Immel of Android Authority. Hi, David. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Been a hot minute since I've been on your cast, so it's good to be here. Yeah. Thanks for being my guest. That's awesome. So a Snapdragon Summit took place yesterday and the day before, earlier this week, and Qualcomm announced the Snapdragon 888, or 888, I think is the official parlance. Ziad, walk us through what to expect at a high level about this new chip on flagship devices next year? Sure. So the Snapdragon 888, you should think of it as the device, as the product, where we bring in all the amazing innovations and we you know, just jam-pack this product with it. So in this case, we have the best-in-class camera capability with completely new use cases that we can enable, uh, probably more AI capability than is available on any other mobile platform at this point in time, and the best gaming experience possible. That's fantastic. So I think we have to go through all of these, right? You're going to have to tell us about each of them. David, what's your initial thoughts after this pretty huge deal announcement? Yeah, I'm pretty excited for the camera features in particular. Um, I kind of write up a, a write up every year about what's coming to the cameras, but they were able to improve a lot in the cameras this year, which I can uh, I can let him take take hold of, and I'm sure we'll talk about more later. For sure. Yeah, i definitely going to link to that story of yours. Ziad, let's start with that. Imaging, the 888 is really cranking things up a notch. So tell us maybe in two levels. One, what people can expect like in general, and then what the things that Qualcomm has done to make that happen. Sure. So, you know, we always lead from the perspective of image quality. And what we're really driving towards is to have an experience that whenever you're going anywhere, you don't think about even taking your DSLR even because the experience from your smartphone is vastly better. And you know, that's exactly what we've been able to do with the Snapdragon 888. So among the major advances that we have brought is we've added in for the first time, a third ISP. What does that mean? What it really means is that you can now actually capture the video or the camera from three different vantage points. And you can do that concurrently. It's not just like having three cameras on the, on the smartphone, but it's actually being able to use three of them at the same time. What that means is that as you are able to, uh, you know, zoom in from, you know, tele to all the way to ultra wide, it's the most smooth experience possible, number one. What you can also do is you can add in AI, and now you can have three different levels of zoom capability, and your device automatically can choose the right zoom levels and be able to stitch together a video that's just perfect and it gets the subject in the right place and gets the best experience out. So in addition to that, we also brought in something that we called computational HDR to video. And that's what it does is that we have introduced the new staggered HDR sensors. And uh, what that means is that your sensor can now actually uh, take the image at three different exposures. 
Just like photography, HDR normally is on phones, right? But you're doing it on video now. Exactly. So you can do the yeah. long, mid, and short, capture those, and combine them for the best pristine quality video possible. And to make it all work together, we actually improved the throughput through the ISP by a factor of 35%. So this ISP can actually process 2.7 gigapixels per second. We think it's more than anybody else is able to do. Wow. Yeah. David, what's the most exciting thing for you in, in this long laundry list of improvements? I think the staggered HDR sensor, honestly, is one of the most exciting things, um, particularly because there's a lot of smartphones that just have not have like put a lot of work into photography, but not have have not really put a lot of work into video capabilities. Uh, I think the the Pixel line is a pretty good example of that, right? right. They've uh, they've yeah. basically used computational photography since the Pixel 1 to kind of cheat physics and use the same sensor over and over and over again, but they just can't even touch other phones like the iPhone or different Android phones in terms of video capabilities. Uh, so by introducing like these staggered HDR sensors, that's going to kind of democratize good video capabilities in Android smartphones, which is pretty exciting for me. Yeah, I'm honestly looking forward to the improvements in night photography. I mean, for me, video is really important, and I feel like Android needs to step things up in video. It really seems like, and everybody seems to agree in terms of creators out there, is that the iPhone seems to be holding the torch right now for video. But I, I feel like some Android phones have come very close, like Samsung. I think Huawei's done a good job as well recently. But I'm really looking forward to a better video. But for me, it's about stills, and it's about the low light capabilities down to 0.1 lux, right, Ziad? Yes, absolutely. So we have these special algorithms that are able to actually see through the darkness even better, and we're enhancing them significantly with the Snapdragon 888. And you know what is really exciting about uh, photography on the smartphone now, which you just can't do any other, on any other camera, is the fact that AI is actually enhancing that imaging experience vastly. I mean, like you were talking about the fact that stills are important, well, you can do what we showed actually at the Tech Summit. You can actually do segmentation on the image. So for example, if you're looking at an image and you know this part is skin and this part is fabric and this part is the background, you can enhance each of those different segments uh, by exactly what's needed to make the picture look much, much better. You know, I always give this example that with AI, what has happened is that instead of your camera just capturing these dumb pixels, it actually knows what it is taking a picture of and it can make right. it look much better. It's using machine learning, right? Basically to say, oh, this is a tree, so I'm gonna I'm process this part of the image differently from this is the ocean, from this is you know a building, right? Exactly. Yeah. But speaking of ML and machine learning and AI, um, you're using ML now for autofocus and auto exposure, right? Yes. Is this new to the 888? You know, we could always do it, but now we're inherently doing it in the hardware and we are able to actually show much, much better performance. Uh, and by doing that, you actually take away a lot of the, uh, you know, the actual uh, mechanics of doing it and make the picture look pristine without the consumer even knowing about it. And that's really right. the superbly nice part about AI, that it takes away a lot of the complexity uh, without many times the consumer really knowing what it has done. So it just makes that experience far better than what, was, what we were able to do in the past. David, what's the next thing on your list of uh, 888, or sorry, 888 um, laundry list of awesomeness that you want to talk about? I think them putting a lot of focus into the graphics is pretty good and pretty important. Um, that's something that Apple has traditionally done really well. So them kind of 
upping the graphics performance by a significant amount is really good and also is going to be very good if they if they kind of put these style chips or a beefed up version of this chip in more Snapdragon laptops because like laptops really need good graphics performance so upping that by a lot is a big deal yeah you know the the really nice thing about it is graphics and Im- gaming is just this amazing phenomenon right now i mean just look at the number of new t- games that are available on the mobile and the fact that you can actually do gaming while you're on the go so what we've been able to do is two or three key differentiations that we think only snapdragon has so i don't know if people know this or not but we create our own graphics scores for the snapdragon chipset the adreno family of products and the advantage that we're able to bring with those uh, ips is that we have the ability to get to the best performance per watt. What that means is that we can do more graphics rendering, uh, more gaming rendering than anybody else can do at the same given amount of power. And that is absolutely critical when you're talking about doing this on a mobile handset, right? Uh, That's one key thing. And then the other big advantage that we've been bringing is that we have been bringing in big features that used to be just dedicated to PC gaming for the most part. And we've been bringing those into the uh, mobile side. Uh, And we've done this uh, for the Snapdragon 865 last year with features like, you know, upgradable graphics drivers and uh, features like PC forward rendering. And this year we brought in uh, two key features. So one is variable rate shading. And what that allows you to do is to basically be able to get almost uh, 30% uh, more uh, rendering capability by being able to do different shading for different parts of the frame. And then the second key feature we brought in is what we call uh, Qualcomm uh, Snapdragon Quick Touch. So, you know, what is very important, and if you guys are gamers, you, you probably know this well, is the amount of time that when you click on a particular portion of your display to when something happens, becomes absolutely important because that the difference of your uh, you know character dying versus the other guy dying and we've really gone ahead and optimized the heck out of it we've improved uh, the latency by almost 20 percent and on top of all of that we did 35 percent better graphics capability with 20 percent better power efficiency so this is like a huge upgrade in every respect from a gaming perspective you know what I'd love Qualcomm to do from a marketing perspective is draw a graph of like the, the speed improvements of the processors in various categories like GPU, you know, AI, CPU, DSP, ISP over time, it'd be really interesting to see the deltas, right? Because that's, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to gauge right now because of course the Snapdragon 865 was faster than the 855. And of course the 888 seems to be a huge step forward, right? But how much of a difference is there you know, and it's obviously hard to gauge that, you, you know, mm-hmm. marketing wise, you can give it a number, but I, I think it's interesting. I think that's something we would love to see as journalists. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I think we, we, we do show some of that. So we'll have our uh, uh, benchmarking workshop coming up fairly soon, which will highlight all the advantages compared to where 865 was to where 888 is going to be. And actually, you reminded me of something more important, right? I mean, at least the guys who play games, they know they don't play these games for like, you know, a minute or two. They play these games for extended periods of time. And what that yeah. means is that you better be able to perform at that level in a sustained fashion. And that's another unique advantage that Qualcomm has. So at the Tech Summit, I showed some of the graphs where, you know, I compared what the 865 was able to do to other solutions. And what you notice is they're able to do very well for the first minute or two. And then because they're creating and generating so much heat inside, they have to throttle fairly quickly and reduce their performance. 
So it's really a, a superb differentiation that we are able to bring with the Adrena family of graphics cores. David, any thought on um, on all this? Yeah, I mean, kind of in general, like mobile gaming is just becoming more and more popular and just kind of like we're seeing with uh, general computers moving towards kind of like a mobile architecture and then a mobile mobile first kind of world. A lot of games are also moving towards mobile first. And there's a lot of, you know, OEMs that are running games on the phone, but then allowing you to attach it to like a monitor like Asus, right? So just being able to get the same or or a lot similar graphics fidelity to com- like competitive games that you would play on a PC is kind of going to be really important for the future because I think the entire world is just kind of moving towards uh, mobile first everything and then kind of plug it into a bigger screen when you need it, you know. For sure, yeah. I mean, that's obviously if you're a mobile chip maker at this point, it's definitely an advantage you're going to be able to get because if you especially if you dock your device in some way, right? Um, you potentially could cool it better while it's docked and stuff. So there's all kinds of really interesting benefits there. Yeah. And actually, maybe I want to add something else, right? So what has also become really spectacular is display quality has become so important, right? If you're holding this phone fairly close to your eyes, you can pretty much see everything. And well, that's another big advantage that we brought with Snapdragon 888, where we added in features to actually improve picture quality and pushing it all the way to like 144 hertz refresh rate. So, you know, you can see that the, the, the smallest delta between the frames, and as you push from 60 to 90 to 144 hertz, for many of these applications, the experience really changes. Yeah, definitely for gaming. I reviewed the Red Magic 5G recently, and it has 144 hertz display. And, you know, you can tell the difference. It really makes a big deal. Exactly. And by the way, I mean, this is an advantage that Android has through Snapdragon's uh, capabilities that we are bringing into the phone. For sure. So Ziad, is there another topic that of all the big pillars we're talking about here that you want to discuss next on the 888? Yeah, we should definitely talk about AI, just the amount definitely. of excitement we have on, you know, from every customer that we talk to, from consumers. I mean, AI is this new factor that's just making our devices become so much more useful to us. You know, last year I was able to show this great uh, capability on the device where literally your phone was able to do live machine translation. And, you know, just think of the possibilities that you can have with that. So you can have, you know, a phone call with somebody, uh, you know, that lives in any other part of the world, cannot speak your language, but both of you can have a conversation without the other one knowing that you don't even speak their language. Right, so the possibilities yeah. that AI is opening up is just unbelievable. So last year we were at about uh, 15 tops AI uh, performance capability. So this year we pushed it all the way to like 26 tops, and by that's trillion operations per second. Mm-hmm. It's a massive amount of uh, AI capability in a handheld. But why we are doing that is because number one, our customers are asking for it; they're demanding more. And what is happening is that you know initially when AI started. We applied it to speech. We applied it to audio. Uh, like, for example, we can do echo and noise cancellation so much better using AI than we, what we were able to do with even multiple microphones on the device. So that's how it started. Then we did things like face payments because with AI, you can actually be much more sure that it's not a fake that you're seeing and it's much more accurate. And then it moved on to imaging, right? Many of the examples that we talked about today. But now it's transitioning to video. So those changes like segmentation and the image enhancements and all those things that you were doing at a single frame level, 
Now they move to multiple frames per second on a video because people want all of those enhancements, all those capabilities, and the, you know, the noise reduction, low level performance on videos. So we have enhanced it to that level because we want to do that. And while doing that, we've improved the, the power by a factor of three. So that's immensely powerful. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. So speaking of, of ML and AI, for me, what's really hard to kind of get my head around with these chips every year is, you know, how does it impact the experience on a flagship? Obviously, you just talked about that with video and segmenting. But what other benefits are we going to have that are like less obvious that you think people should be aware of? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. So AI, see, just like we look at 5G as this enabling technology that uh, drives this new revolution, every G that comes, what we're able to do is we have to push hard on the application processor capabilities to make use of that because people come up with these amazing new use cases with the improved throughput. In the same way, AI is that very much of a similar enabling technology across all the other technology that technologies that we have in the Snapdragon product. So for example, like I talked yeah. about, right, how it makes imaging better, how it makes audio better, how it makes video better as we're going further in time. But now what you will see is that it will also extend to how it makes gaming better, right? We can do so much better in terms of being able to, for example, change the plot of a game, depending on how you're playing the game. We can actually change the textures using AI such that they look unique every time you play the game, right? We can interact with the characters in the game using natural language processing, for example. So it's not like you have to click on something. You can actually talk to the character as time goes by. And then augment this idea with having some sort of a virtual reality or augmented reality device on your face. And just think about it, right? Now you interact with the game through your hands instead of having a joystick or pressing on a certain you know place on the display. Completely different experience. And by the way, all those cases that I talk about, which is like hand tracking and body tracking, and to be you know, able to identify a plane as you're doing augmented reality, all of those are AI problems. So we really think it's going to drive towards this revolution towards augmented reality and create this amazing new use cases, make these experiences just purely seamless. So you will see that a lot more is going to happen on how AI is used in our products. Awesome. David, have any thoughts on AI on the Snapdragon 888? Yeah, I mean, semantic segmentation in particular with, with AI use cases is one of my favorite use cases of it. Um, just because like we've seen uh, things like Pixel's astrophotography mode, right? That uses semantic right. segmentation to identify what the sky is versus what the you know subject or the, the grass is. And then they can edit things to kind of change them and make them pull out the detail. You know, so the more you're able to train these AI um, machine learning algorithms, the better in general, everyone's photos are going to come out and not obviously not even just photos, right? Like upscaling and just being able to make things higher fidelity in general with AI is pretty awesome. Yeah, I was actually playing with um, Pixelmator Pro on the Mac, which is a, a like an alternative to Photoshop, and they have a machine learning upscaling algorithms for photos, mm. which is kind of incredible. You just feed it like, you know, 1080p photo, and then you, you get like, you can get like a 12 megapixel shot out of it, and it does a pretty damn great job. And it, the only way it can do that is machine learning, right? Actually, that, that's a very good one. We showed this use case actually last year also with the Snapdragon 865. Just think about it, right? If you have multiple video streams, if you could you know, send that over the air at a lower resolution, 
and be able to upscale it on your device, you can save a lot of bandwidth, right? So that's yeah. one example. Another good one, kind of uh, like what David mentioned, is uh, we call it super resolution. So what you're able to do is enhance the quality of an image beyond what the camera was able to look at, right? So let's say as you zoom further and that image starts to get blurred as you do a lot of digital zoom to 50x and beyond, you now apply AI on top of that and be able to get a lot more resolution and fidelity that was just not possible without AI. So numerous new use cases, really. Yeah. Ziad, one last topic that we should cover for the next two, three minutes on the Snapdragon 888. I think we should talk about 5G. Yes. Good call. Yeah. I was like, all this time, it's a mobile device that's connected to the internet. We haven't even talked about that, right? Exactly. I think <laughs> we have so much in this device that uh, before we get to 5G, we got to talk about all the other things. But, you know, we're very excited about what 5G is able to do. Just in general, I mean, I want to say that it's one of the Gs that I have been able to take down the Snapdragon roadmap the quickest. Right. In general, we used to start from the premium tier and then slowly take it down to lower tiers, not with 5G. I think the 5G ramp has just been unbelievable. I think we knew, of course, that this was going to work out this way, but many in the industry have been quite surprised by it. And I think the yeah. cool thing here is that, you know, with 5G, you reduce the latency so much more. And with millimeter wave, you have this large swaths of spectrum available to you. That were just not possible in the past. You know, they're out there in the higher frequency ranges, but they're available. And that just means you can do so much more uh, with your devices. I mean, the XR or the VR-like use case I talked about, uh, just imagine, right, with 5G, we have talked about this thing that we call boundless rendering. So, so example, let's say you wanted to have an augmented reality device on your face, but you want to do it in a way that you get good battery life on it. Well, guess what? You can do the bulk of the processing somewhere remote, and then you send yeah. those frames all over to the augmented reality device. It does the last minute warping on it, and you basically have the experience at very, very low power on the device. I mean, that's just yeah. one of the cases that we see. Uh, but in addition, I think what we're also seeing is that 5G uh, growth uh, has just been unbelievable. I think the operators all over the world, uh, you know, in countries like China, the transition has been just unbelievable. So it's it's given Snapdragon that huge advantage. We were the first to bring in sub six and millimeter wave capabilities to our product, and it has just been amazing for us. I think for me, what's most exciting, frankly, is that you have an integrated setup now. You actually have the five G modem inside the same chip as the application processor, and I think that's going to mean some great power consumption improvements, right? Yeah, so, you know, we have always driven this uh, strongly, right? When we did this with 3G, we did this with 4G, and now we're doing exactly that with 5G. So what we typically have is we have parallel development going on for the modem technology and the application processor technology. And then what we are able to do is, depending on what our timeline is for launching a product, we choose and make the decision whether to integrate them or to keep them separate. I mean, even last year, our 700-tier product, the Snapdragon right. 765, mm -hmm did have 5G integrated in it already. So, you know, we were going to head this way. And with, of course, with the Snapdragon 888, we have this integrated. By the way, I should also mention, there is a huge improvement on the Wi-Fi side too with the Snapdragon 888. Wi-Fi 6E, right? Exactly. So that's a huge improvement. Now you get this additional 6 gigahertz uh, uh, band that you never had. And, and, you know, with all of us uh, stuck at homes and using our Wi-Fis, you know, more than ever, the older two bands are pretty saturated. And to be able to unlock this new band, 
and to add new modulation techniques like 4K QAM and all that we talked about, I think it really improves the Wi-Fi experience unbelievably on the 888. Yeah, now we just all need to update our routers. Uh, yes, minor details. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, it's a small academic thing. Um, but no, I, I see I see your point. I think that uh, things are getting very congested and having the ability to go that way. And I think, look, people keep their phones a year, two years. I, I think the, the turnaround on these uh, routers is going to come pretty quickly, yes. especially for those of us who uh, own our own devices and, and, you know, maintain our own routers, which I think... A lot of the people in this audience on my podcast are tech-savvy early adopters. They probably buy a new router every year or two exactly. um, just to keep up with all the new new stuff. So I think for everyone, it's going to be beneficial. But I think that overall for the average consumer, it's going to probably take hold when you start coming out with a 700 series chip with this Wi-Fi 6E and the associated devices, uh, right. just simply because, you know, they're, they're not going to switch and their laptops probably not don't have it yet and all that stuff, you know. Right. And, and I think if you are going to buy a phone today, you'd much rather have that capability in it because like you said, yeah. especially the early adopters are going to upgrade the router fairly quickly and then be able to get all that benefit would be pretty cool. Especially those gamers because they, they just upgrade everything all the time. That's true. And since, you know, this phone is for gaming, I think, I mean, this chip is really, I think the writing's on the wall, Snapdragon Elite Gaming, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ziad, we should uh, we should continue with the rest of the show. I, I really appreciate you being our guest today, f- talking about all the exciting stuff surrounding the Snapdragon Summit. Of course, there's more, way more. Of course, there'll be a whole bunch of content out there from all my various media colleagues that everybody should check out. But thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me, guys. No worries. So yeah, lots of stuff there, David. What do you think? Yeah, honestly, I mean, it is still a little bit surprising to me that they called this uh, 888. Um, I kind of love it, actually. I kind of hope that they do the 700 series and call it 777. <laughs> you know, be, I mean, I know that's probably not going to happen because Boeing has the 777. And, you know, <laughs> you, no, you're laughing, but this is a pretty critical branding thing. A lot of people yeah. don't like to reuse existing brands. And in fact, they have to worry about IP and, you know, yeah. copyright and branding and stuff. But even if they call it 788, it'll be interesting. Like, that's really the chip that I was hoping they would talk about and announce because, you know, I don't know, after this year of COVID madness and people being out of work and, and all that, the 765G is kind of become my favorite chip, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, yes, of course, flagship. You want a flagship chip, of course. I, you know, it's hypocritical for me to say that in a way because I use this, you know, OnePlus 8 Pro every day. Right. That's, you know, a Snapdragon 7, 865. So, uh, but 888, 888, interesting. I think, you know, do you get the feeling this is a bigger leap than last year's 55 to 65? I mean, I do, but I'm not, Sure that I can put my finger on it, whether it's just marketing hype or is really real. I feel like it's about on par with last year. I mean, it's a what twenty five percent CPU increase, forty uh, percent graphics. Did they say? And yeah. the camera is thirty five percent faster, which I think is like last year's camera was forty forty percent faster. So it's a little bit of a drop in terms of percentage there. Um, and I believe the I believe the CPU and GPU were about twenty five to thirty five percent faster last year. So I don't know. It feels if it, it feels very on par for me, and that's why I feel like it's weird that they 
skipped the 70 generation at all. Like, I feel like they should have maybe done um, 875 and then maybe next year. They could have either. Yeah, I mean, where do you go from here? Eight ninety five, yeah. and eventually you are a thousand. Like... I asked them in that in the pre briefing, and they said they have a they have a, have a plan for it, but I don't know what it could be. <laughs> well, my feeling is that they're probably going to abandon the eight hundred, six hundred, seven hundred, four hundred tier, yeah, two hundred tier. They're going to probably go to I don't know. They still make two hundred chips. I think the four hundred tier still exists. Yeah, four sixty is the new. I don't one. think they make two hundreds anymore. No, but I mean, I think they're going to be like, maybe they're going to go like, you know what, uh, again, I hate to bring up Boeing, but Boeing did this where they went from, you know, the, the, the name of the plane and then 800 or 900 was the kind of like the, the suffix and then yeah. they changed it to eight and nine. So yeah. like, for example, you know, the Dreamliner is 787-8 or dash nine. They don't go dash 800 like they used to. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they're going to go with eight, kind of like eight CX, you know, like eight yeah. something. It'll be eight whatever. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where I see them going. But none of this matters right now. I want to <laughs> pick your brain about, <laughs> yeah, talk about going down the rabbit hole. I want to pick your brain about the um, your story around the imaging stuff. Because, yeah. you know, we kind of touched on it earlier there. We I think we did get to most of it tell us again what you think is is like the thing because i i think it's kind of interesting you have a summary video that you did that kind of goes over all the 888 stuff and then you also have this great article you wrote that specifically dives into the imaging aspects and you talk to judd right so yeah yeah i kind of have a yearly conversation with judd um about Mm -hmm. the camera stuff just because they know that i'm really into computational photography stuff and i'm actually i have a I have a dedicated camera 888 video going out tomorrow, which is cool. an eight minute kind of deep dive into the new camera stuff since I didn't really have time to go over it much in my video. Um, but I always like doing these articles. And this year, I think them adding a third ISP is really playing catch up. Um in my opinion, yeah, I was gonna say that seemed odd to me. Like I was like, you're making a big fuss about something everybody else is doing. It seems yeah, well, everybody else being Apple and Huawei. Yeah, so I mean, it's a combination of things, right? Like obviously, Apple and Huawei have had three ISPs, and it's it's good for Qualcomm to catch up in terms of just being able to record with three lenses at the same time. But I think their throughput is actually better because um, they can. They can do 4K 120 FPS 10 bit HDR video now, because right. if you if you pipe all of that uh, all of that throughput into one single sensor, then they they I think are faster than other manufacturers. The problem though is, I mean, look, let's be real. You have an iPhone, I'm sure, a 12 mm-hmm. of some kind, because you reviewed them extensively. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna talk about your 12 Pro Max review, but and that's kind of one the context I want to have, right? Like we've sure. already covered the 12 extensively on the podcast, but I feel like. You know, you look at video, right? Dolby Vision, they announced it over the 865. No Android phone took that and did yeah. anything with it. Then yeah. Apple comes along and makes it happen. Now, you know, creators, the bonks, us, are not really using that right now because it doesn't work for their workflow. Yeah. So, like, I'm not even sure that, you know, 10-bit matters for video right that much right now. Like, I feel like what's more important is possibly the higher refresh rate. Like, I think... F- you know, 4K 120 opens up a whole bunch of possibilities for like sports and high action yeah. type stuff, right? Right. I would say that I think that 10-bit is important. I don't think that HDR necessarily is going to be that imp- 
important to people. Well, that's kind of what I was going to. Yeah. Right. Right. I think that once, you know, Apple is obviously forcing democratization of the standard and manufacture, like whether it's display manufacturers or accessory manufacturers, like whenever Apple does something like that, just the truth of the matter is it'll start being popular. <laughs> and so, like you said, um, other OEMs had access to shooting uh, HDR 10 since like the 865, right? But they didn't really do anything with it. Samsung kind of like hit it in its menus as like a sub option. But again, that's because most nonlinear editors don't even have support for it. So when you try to edit with it, it's it's ridiculous yeah. and you have to convert back to a standard color space. Um, but so like, you know, the HDR stuff, I think once that's more popular and like Apple tends to do this where they they take away something or they, they add something or take away something that people don't necessarily care about or like. And then over time, it kind of gets to be important once things actually have support. Um, and I've, you know, if you watch back Dolby Vision HDR video on a supported display like an iPhone, it is really good looking. No, it's like, fantastic. It's fantastic. I mean, I used to work at Dolby. I know what these folks can do. The problem yeah. is adoption. And and mm-hmm. the problem right now with the iPhone is even, you know, even beyond, you know, creators making YouTube videos and having, yeah. don't, not having editing tools is that the average consumer can't even really benefit from that right. amazing video they just shot unless they look at it on their tiny six inch yeah. phone. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that kills it for me. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I want to see 4K Dolby Vision on a big TV, right. like not a huge TV, like maybe a 60 inch TV. And that would really do it for me. But the problem is if you look out there, most of the TVs people buy don't have Dolby yeah. Vision. Yeah. Still, you know, and I have a feeling that these OEMs and like in even Qualcomm, you know, they they kind of think in this idea that like everyone's going to be always doing everything on their smartphone, which is not really the case. I mean, COVID has really taught us that it's not the case. The pandemic has really showed us how much tablets and laptops and even desktops matter. I feel like desktops are coming back in some weird way, too. You know, I think I mean, I think even Apple is a little. forthright on that you know they they have hdr video as the default video format when you when you turn on your iphone there's it's on by default and that means if you share it to you know an editing program and you don't know what you're doing you're gonna be like why is this so bright and why is it breaking my computer i mean you can't watch dolby vision on a brand new uh, m1 macbook pro right now yeah but right you know I mean, that's just to illustrate your point. Yeah, I mean, exactly. look, I'm, I'm excited about all this stuff, but I feel like it's the problem with Qualcomm's, you know, imaging prowess that they add to the table every year is that it really is up to the OEMs to make use yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing an erosion at that level that I'm really annoyed with. And it's and I understand why, like I get it, like a lot of OEMs have a roadmap and they, you know, they kind of anticipate and, and they also kind of compare themselves to the others that use the same chip, right? How do you how do you distinguish yourself? And you know, like we we've heard rumors that the next Oppo flagship, the Find X series, is going to have yeah. 10 bit, right? Of mm-hmm. course, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. But practically, how much of a difference is that going to make to most people? I'm not sure. Like, yeah, I think 10 bit capture is really important. You know, especially if you're 
editing software supports it. Same with 120 hertz. Like, right. you're not going to watch this at 120 hertz. There's just no way you're going to watch it at 120 hertz unless you're watching it on your phone. Right. I think, like you said, it's for for sports and stuff. It can be really good. No, but um, I mean, most people don't have a way to watch at 120 hertz. So, like, right. I have a two-year-old iMac on my desk that struggles to play 4K 60 in yeah. a YouTube video, like in a web browser. And so I'm like, and I'm, it's not Safari. Yeah, I could use Safari and it'd probably be okay. But I'm just saying, the point is that I think the world is not quite ready for that. I think for creators though, having 120 hertz to start with and then, you know, being able to slow down mm-hmm. and get like those nice, you know, unlocker slow-mo style shots. slow-mo yeah. shots. <laughs> yeah. You know how he loves his, uh, <laughs> David loves his stuff. I think for that, it's going to be fantastic because now you can publish at 4K60 mm-hmm. and you can still get really smooth slow-mo right, exactly, at 4K60 because yeah. you're capturing at 120. All yeah. that makes perfect sense to me. But I think for the average person, again, I'm just like... Yeah, for me, again, like the most important thing from all of this is the staggered HDR uh, recording. Yeah. That's a huge deal. Because HDR video was just never right to me. Like the way they were doing it, I was like, seriously, you need to capture three shots for each frame. Yeah. And And now they're doing that. Yeah. Well, they're they're only doing two. Oh, is it Um, two? Okay. So it's their, their marketing was a little bit confusing because in the imaging it showed three, but then I asked Judd and he was like, we're only doing two. Oh, it's two. Oops. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, but they were very, very behind in this aspect. Uh, Apple has been doing it calls it extended HDR, but right. it basically does a similar thing where it actually records at double the frame rate, but then it does, you know, a longer exposure and a shorter exposure per frame. But because it's so fast, it's able to basically blend the frames anyway, and then you get better HDR. And like Apple's HDR is so good for video. Yeah, and then it renders down to 30 FPS or whatever from the whatever the double that it's recording at. Yeah, it exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. just blending the frames, but it it does it so well, you know, like I was blown away when I was doing my iPhone 12 mini review and I'm just like this thing can take this video. Like this is ridiculous and sometimes I help Michael with projects um that he's working on and you know, sometimes we'll use the iPhone instead of the Fuji because its stabilization is just ridiculous. So. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I made the switch to taking all of my photos from my reviews, you know, the ones I write for Hot Hardware and, and Geekspin and some of them for Android Police. Mm-hmm. I've been switched over to using phones yeah. for all my photos. Mm-hmm. The big tipping point for me was Google Google's Pixel 4 event last year where I had some issues with my camera when I, when we got to the location in New York City. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Let me use my, my own Pixel 3 XL as a camera. Yeah, I know how to use it well and I see it. And it, the results just blew my mind. Yeah, I, I knew intuitively it could work, but I, you know, you have this workflow and you have this like, well, of course I'm going to do it with my camera. It's real glass. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get real depth of field. And, and I use portrait mode and I got the most incredible shots. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm switching. Yeah. And since then, I have this old Sony NEX that's just sitting there gathering dust. And it's it's just, you know, thank God it's not like a, a more expensive camera. Obviously, if it was a more expensive camera, I might still be using it because my Sony <laughs> NEX is almost a decade old now and it's right. kind of a little cranky. But um, at the same time, video, I think is, I'm starting to hear this more and more from people that yeah. are like, you know, folks like you and Michael Fisher, yeah. like, and David, right? Like, it's like, why, like a lot of your B-rolls now done on iPhones. I know that for a lot of you folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't do a lot of it on it, but I I can totally see why you would. Like when I help Michael out and we shoot, we honestly do do a decent amount of B-roll on it. It's like, 
And then, of course, you know, he's got his MacBook. So, like, we get home and you just press a button and airdrop it to him and it takes two seconds. And it's like, geez. And that's the other thing for me. Like, all my photos that I take with my phones automatically end up in Google Photos. And I don't have anything to do. I just go in there. In fact, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now editing in Google Photos, generally on a tablet. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, because I have a bigger screen than, a, than my phone to edit, but uh, it's still the Android app on a tablet. Like, mm-hmm. I actually use a Chrome tablet for that, believe it or not. It's hilarious. Yeah. And then it's just there. And, and then I just download it to my Mac, right, from from uh, Google Photos and then I, it's there, it's done. And it's just so nice. It's even nicer than my old workflow, which was you know SD card to my Mac to Photoshop or uh, Lightroom or whatever I was using, you know? And it's just like, I don't know. I think that's part of it too, right? But back to, you know, the 888, to me, it just feels like, I don't know. Like I, I'm excited. I'm really excited about the integrated 5G. I think this, is, this was yeah. a big sticking point for me because yeah, I know yeah. that they don't want to talk about it, but power consumption, like, there'd be a lot less delta in power consumption between the 765 and the 865 if that 865 had the modem built in. Yeah. Because, because, you know, it's like a lot of people are like, well, the 865 is a much more higher-end chip. But if you really look at the numbers, it's a higher-end chip in GPU and graphics only, really. Everything yeah. else on the 765 is kicking serious ass, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and battery life is always really good on those phones. So that's kind of why I'm a bit bummed that we didn't get a 700 series chip out of this event. And more importantly, that we didn't get a major update to their ACPC chip, the uh, their uh, yeah. mobile, you know, uh, laptop chip or, or tablet chip. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how they react to the M1. I mean, the M1 just wiped the floor of everyone right yeah. now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Intel, AMD, and I, I know not at the higher level, you know, with dedicated GPU cards on a desktop gaming yeah. machine. I get that. A lot but from of people, the CPU like, level, it's completely changing everything. Yeah, a lot of yeah. people like pointing fingers at me going, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, no, look, your gaming rig is fine. I'm <laughs> just talking about, you know, the average PC XPS 13 laptop or yeah. like even my my M1 MacBook Air just, just totally blows the socks off of my iMac, which is a two-year-old iMac. Right. Now, it wasn't the top of the line iMac, but come on, like it's yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like for, and, and I'm not even running native apps half the time like yeah. i'm just running the same old 64-bit binaries so i think that apple is kind of like seriously laid down the law this year on what a mobile chip can do not just at the mobile phone level but at the mobile in general level mm-hmm. and i'm sure that they're struggling to i mean i honestly i should not really have expected after the m1 you know how well received it's been that they would even even if they had something they compete, they would probably hold it, right? Because they want to see what how they can market themselves. Right. And they just launched the Gen two of the HCX. So yeah. But at the same time, it just shows you. I think it's. I'm, I'm not. I don't want to point fingers at Qualcomm on this. I think that Microsoft is also really to blame here. Oh yeah, of course. Completely. I mean, they have not done anything with Windows on ARM since they yeah. launched the, uh, you know, the first basically 850 based devices 835-850 based devices and yeah. emulation is still really slow they're not doing just-in-time translation like uh like apple is mm-hmm. they could like i know that the engineers at microsoft could do it like i don't get it you know uh anyway yeah i don't know i mean i think there are just too many relationships um that between companies that these companies have to maintain right like 
you know, it, it's kind of like with um, how AMD is kind of like wrecking the socks on off Intel, even in the CPU space now. Correct. But there's yeah. still only like one or two AMD Ryzen 5 laptops. And that's just because Intel has such a tight grip on the relationships with Dell and Lenovo. And like it's it's kind of disgusting. You know, it's it's very much just like capitalism at its best. Um, but I am hoping you know, Apple doesn't have to deal with any of that because they do everything in-house. Yeah, no, I get that. But I think that more could be done on the, you know, the non-Apple ecosystem out there, the Windows slash PC maker ecosystem, yeah, the, the Android slash phone maker ecosystem. And, and that's kind of why I want to talk to you. Maybe what's your take? You've reviewed the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Yeah. And first, before we start, Give me a kind of like a baseline of how you feel about that phone in terms of imaging compared to the state of the art on Android today. Not not forget the 888, just like let's pick like the Note 20 Ultra, which I think is one of the best imaging phones this year. Yeah. Particularly like a huge, in my opinion, improvement of the S20 Ultra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Primarily course, because of sure. that telephoto and yeah. the tweaks they made to the 108 megapixel sensor. So let's take that. Let's take the iPhone 12 Pro Max or iPhone 12 Maxi, as like I've been calling it, <laughs> mini Maxi. And you get it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then also maybe the, not let's not take the Mate 40 Pro because that's a step downward right. from P40 Pro. Uh, but say the P40 Pro P40 Pro sure. Plus, like, do you feel it's competitive? Because like a lot of people are like, gosh, I don't have the phone. And a lot of people are gushing over it. Like Neelai's review, I'm like, please, Neelai. Like when he said this is the best camera phone on the market, I was like, no. There's no, I can guarantee you this is one of the one of the best. But is it the best? Yeah. It's not the best. I think, yeah, I don't know if he was considering it like as a package, right? Because I, I think the P40 Pro Plus, in my opinion, is, is, the, best. is the best. Yeah. Um, the images look like oh you're taking them on, a, on a Leica camera, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Like, it, if that thing could run Google Play services, I'd be using it all the time. Um, it's insane. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. I cannot get over it. Every time I shoot with that thing, I'm like, oh, oh, oh my god. And what disappointed me, I think, the most about the iPhone 12 Pro Max is the fact that the Max that has the 40% bigger sensor. The, the the images don't look significantly different than the regular Pro or the regular 11 or 12, you 12, know? Yeah, yeah. Like, all it does, apparently all it's doing is, like, it has a extended ISO range, and it, so it can use... Uh, it's taking more light, so it can, you know, use a higher shutter speed, but it's not really taking advantage of the fact that it takes in more light, and the resulting images look... They still look like they're coming from a smartphone. You know, that's the problem. Whereas, like, right. I generally feel like the Huawei P40 Pro images that come directly out of that phone look like they could have been taken on like a Leica or something. It looks, it looks really good. Um, as, as far as like a video camera though, I still think the that iPhone, the iPhone oh, is yeah. the best. No. Oh, no, yeah. There's no doubt there, but you know me, my focus is more stills. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to hear you from you is because like, it's hard for me because I don't have a pro and I don't really want to spend that kind of money. It's the pro max. I mean, is, is a really exciting and a you know enticing phone, but I have an mm-hmm. eleven right now that I use yeah. for video. I don't need the multiple lenses for video. I really just yeah. need the main sensor, which is why I only bought the eleven last year, not the eleven Pro for video. But I think that I'm I'm not sure I'm going to get much of an upgrade going to a twelve for video right. right now, right? No, not really. So so that's kind of where I'm at, and and I'm wondering like, 
do you feel that the in-body stabilization makes any difference? Like, like no, <laughs> not really. It's just they they had to do it because of the 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 lens configuration. They couldn't really do all yeah, this on that lens. There's right? a little bit of a difference. Uh, I think that Verge did a video kind of showing direct, like it on a on a thing directly against the regular Pro, and it it helps like five percent, <laughs> but it's okay. not like substantial. It's just like how the images look really freaking similar you know i i like the mini the most out of all of the phones yeah i saw that from your review <laughs> yeah and i and i you know did a lot of sample photos out at cody island at night with with the max and with the mini and they ended up looking extremely similar wow so yeah i i wouldn't buy the only reason you'd want to get the max in my opinion is if you want for for the camera is if you wanted the 2.5x telephoto which you know, I do end up missing the telephoto if I'm using the mini um, or any, oh, yeah, sort of sure. telef- any sort of telephoto because I appreciate that they're still using 12 megapixels because I like 12 megapixel cameras um, as long as the, you know, because I don't think that sensors are big enough yet to use super high resolution stuff, uh, even with binning. But regardless, like, I think it, it doesn't really make sense to get the max over the regular pro unless you want the bigger battery or the bigger screen. So yeah, for, for camera. And and I mean the cost difference is not that huge, which is nice. Yeah, the cost difference is not bad, like a hundred dollars. But yeah, for me, I feel like I'm I'm liking the direction Samsung's taking with the Note 20 Ultra. I hope yeah. that they bring that on to the S21 series, since the, actually this gives us a chance to jump into one of the topics, which is that mm. uh, they're they're thinking of. I mean, there's rumors. This is not yeah. they for sure, but there's rumors that they might drop the Galaxy Note line altogether and kind of merge it into the S21 line, which would that give maybe one of the bigger S21s like the like the Ultra, if there's an Ultra stylus, an Mm -hmm. S Pen. Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? I actually made a video and did an article back when the Note 20 Ultra came out uh, Uh. saying, should Samsung get rid of, should (laughs) should this be the last Note? It's your fault, ML. <laughs> no, I mean, they, you know, production cycles. Of course, years. I know. But, just... Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but um, I think it, it, it started to not make sense for them to have the Note once the Fold became a mainline product because the Note used to be like, here's the giant screen. And then also when they started making the, S, the Galaxy S screens bigger, like I think, doesn't the Galaxy S twenty Ultra have a bigger screen than the Galaxy Note twenty Ultra? It does, and the, I really don't like the S twenty Ultra. It's an ugly, yeah, I don't big, either. clunky, mm-hmm. not very friendly to the hand phone. I think the not just an imaging, but then the Note twenty Ultra is a masterpiece. Yeah, the, I, the design I, is so much better. Like I, yeah. I hope they don't go to the S design. That they take the Note design and yeah, notify. <laughs> love that notify the s21 rather than sfi the the note yeah. you know what i'm saying i agree for this s pen device like if i was told right now you have to buy a samsung flagship it wouldn't be for me about the s pen even i don't care i don't use it i don't think i pulled it out more than twice on my note like mm-hmm. some people use it i get it like, it's totally cool if you do kudos but for me it's really like there is one flagship from samsung this year it's the note 20 ultra period Done. yeah yeah, no, I agree. It, especially just because, like, they're probably eventually going to add an S Pen to the Fold, right? So yeah. whether whether or not that's next year or the year after, it's like 
they have so many devices now, especially now that they sell the A-series in the U.S. It's like there's right. just too... And there's too many premium phones from Samsung now, right? Oh, yeah. There's... It's like if you're a general consumer, like how do you know what the premium phone is? There's like... There's the S, the Note, and and the phone. Oh, don't forget the S20 Fan Edition. I finally got a review in it. That thing is right. pretty nice. I yeah. mean, you know, for, for the price, it's very yeah. competitive. It's basically out one plusing one plus. Yeah. In some weird way. Like I love how Samsung is like, we're going to be everywhere. Watch. Mm-hmm. But I think, look, I think for me, it's like, I hope they don't mess photography. Like me, we don't necessarily need you to go much like of a big step forward from where you were on the Note 20 Ultra, you know, maybe right. leverage some of that 888 goodness or whatever new Exynos goodness you have to leverage and in terms of ISP processing, but stick with what you have there because I think there's still room for improvement in that package. Yeah. And I don't want you to go out and do something completely radically new, Samsung, right? Because then, because the last time you did something completely radically new, that was the S20 Ultra and the S20 Ultra had some growing pains that you needed to fix with the Note 20 Ultra, so. Yeah, I would like a bigger, an even bigger sensor, but you know, that's just me. Well, yeah, sure, of course. But I also think that like 5X and 10X, like they're probably going to eventually do 10X um, maybe next year, 10x optical. I think if you do 10x, you need another telephoto in between because yeah, you cannot rely on those 180 megapixel sensors. Like the way Samsung yeah. is doing telephoto on the S20 line, and rumored yeah. to do on the cheaper S21 models. Yeah, the cropping is just the not cropping as of good. a large 64 megapixel sensor. It's not good in daytime. It's yeah. even worse in low light. Mm-hmm. It's a cop out. It's it's kind of disgusting, honestly. I don't know what they're worth. Yeah, they they need an optical sensor, in my opinion, definitely. <sighs> like, and thankfully they fixed that with the telephoto on the from the S twenty Ultra to the Note twenty Ultra by yeah, actually yeah. going from forty eight fake zoom to you know a real twelve megapixel sensor. Yeah, they fixed like everything in the Note twenty Ultra. Luckily, so autofocus most importantly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I have to say the one hundred eight megapixel sensor. I've now sampled it in multiple phones, uh, three phones for me, the Edge Plus from Moto, which Mm -hmm. is not the best implementation of it, obviously, because Moto does not know how to make cameras to save its life, to, of course, the the Note 20 Ultra. And then the third one was the Mi 10 base for me. The Mi Note 10. Yeah, I didn't have the Mi Note 10. I did not have the 10 Pro or the 10 Ultra. Yeah, yeah. But I got the 10 the base, okay. and it has one and eight, and yeah. I was blown away by Xiaomi's implementation. That phone. Yeah, Xiaomi's cameras are yes. amazing. Yes, I actually, I, I think uh, you had me on the podcast, uh, it was either last year or the year before, but I remember saying that the, the Xiaomi Mi 8 was like my favorite smartphone camera. And yeah. I tweeted I tweeted that and everyone was like, what are you talking what? about? I was like, no, it's, no it's seriously, rare. like they have a really good pipeline for their camera yeah i was blown away by the 108 megapixel implementation super rock solid and then since then i've reviewed kind of more cheaper phones from them i've reviewed the uh well not so cheap the poco f2 pro which Mm -hmm. was a little disappointing because it lacked ois and then the poco x3 nfc and now i have the mi 10t Lite, which are essentially the same phone one with 5g one without 5g and they have a uh, interesting setup. They have a 64 megapixel Sony IMX 686. Mm, okay. And it's no OIS, so, you know, it's not perfect. I love the 686. But, oh, my God. The 686 is obviously the 586, but instead of 48, it's 64. And, yeah. wow. But it also, like, its white balance is so good. 
The 686 has incredible I know, but what they do with that sensor, Xiaomi, is... Like, I can't believe the X3 Pro NFC is a $200 phone, basically. $220-something dollar phone. And it takes incredible photos with that sensor. Like, wow. Yeah. And then, like, right now I have the Poco M3. And Mm. it's a 48 megapixel. I don't know who makes it. But so far, I'm pretty impressed. Like, I mean, you got to adjust your expectations. It's a $150 phone, right? Right, right, right. Like... Honestly, it can run with here. Here's I'm gonna say right now. It's gonna hurt a lot of people, but it's gonna segue us into our next topic. It's better the 48 megapixel sensor, main sensor on the Poco M3 at $149 than the OnePlus Nord N10 5G hmm. 64 megapixel sensor. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is a Samsung sensor, by the way. Which is oh no, sorry, an Omnivision, which is like ugh. Right. That phone. I've said it many times on the show now because I've reviewed it recently for Hot Hardware and I think three shows now in a row. Yeah. Really makes me question where OnePlus is going. That mm-hmm. phone is a disaster. Yeah, yeah. And whole, yeah. in the context of that, I, just to give you some comparison, I just got the Realme 7 5G that was just announced by uh, also BBK Group. The, the, the Basically, it's the OnePlus Nord N10 5G what it should have been like yeah it's insane it's like cheaper has similar specs it's a dimensity 800u but honestly it's better in every way it's better in design it looks better it looks more beautiful looks more premium imaging performance is better uh general performance is fine i'm surprised at how good the dimensity 800u actually is the display is you know pretty much the same display 90 hertz or something and actually it's higher it's 120 hertz on the uh on the realme it's mm-hmm. like it's like why did you even come out and do this Nord N10 5G like yeah yeah anyway but related to that there's rumors of a OnePlus 9e now which would complement mm-hmm. the 9 and 9 Pro kind of like I guess an economy or like a maybe a OnePlus 9 Lite if you want to call S10 that S10e so yeah I guess e is kind of the cheaper yeah but name but now. but that's not a OnePlus thing so yeah. I mean you can think of the OnePlus 8e as the OnePlus Nord. Sure. The original, mm-hmm. right? Which is one of my favorite phones of 2020. Mm-hmm. And so I hope they don't mess this up. Yeah. Like I know they're not, I'm pretty sure they're not going to mess up the 9 Pro because they can push it up market. And I'm, I'll pay for that because I have an 8 Pro. And even though it's too big and has a curved edge, which I don't like, everything else about it is pretty solid. The 9, hopefully they learn from the 8 and 8T where, I don't know how you feel about this. I'd like to know. I feel that they came out with the 8 and the carriers adopted the 8 and then they <laughs> couldn't sell the 8T to the carriers because they were still knee-deep in 8. Yeah. Especially Verizon had a custom version of the 8 made for yeah. a wideband millimeter wave. And yeah. so then they had to bump the specs on the 8T to 12 gigs, 256 gigs and sell it for $50 more, which immediately made it overpriced for what it is, right? Yeah. And the uh, that's that's what happened. The eight was really awkward as it was because the eight was worse than the seven T, but with five G basically. <laughs> pretty much right? and a new des- and a new design. Yeah, yeah. the seven T was better. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I'm knowing what Realme can do on BBK Group, and obviously knowing what Oppo can do. It's clear to me that and with Pete Lau now being the, also this head of this Oppo OnePlus. 
yeah you know combination company like that's yeah. like bbk now has an umbrella company that's oppo and oneplus and then vivo yeah. is separate o plus or whatever realme yeah. is separate and i think this the fact that they're kind of more together with oppo now oneplus in this structural structure of the company of the bbk group means that we're you know somebody many people wrote about this there's a video on android authority about this from one of your colleagues about yeah the opification of oneplus it's really what's happening right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep and i don't think it's a good idea <laughs> it's bad it's bad because the because markets look, are different yeah the markets are totally different and i think that like i believe oneplus could diversify its portfolio quite a bit and do it differently than they did like i think that they can keep they can be much more popular. Like I personally don't have any issues with Oxygen 11 and the fact that it's a little less stock in a way, but because it does, it still feels super fast and super nice to me. I have more issues with things like the the really crappy down marketing of the Nord brand. The Nord yeah. original was such a good phone. I understand it was probably a, a a loss leader in some ways. It didn't make a lot of money on that phone. There's no way because it's so good for what it is and specs mm-hmm. so high. But because it's really a OnePlus 8 with a 765 in the end. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. And so the, there's a problem there with distinguishing the two. That's just why I didn't come to the US. But then if you look at like what Realme is doing with the 7 5G that I'm playing with right now, this is, I think, where OnePlus should be going. It's funny how Realme is taking a playbook from OnePlus and then OnePlus is taking a playbook from Oppo. It's like, what? Yeah. <sighs> Frustrating. Yep. Frustrating. It is weird. Yeah. But speaking of cheap 5G phones, this is not new new because I think it came out in Europe, but... Now it's available in India. And India, as you know, is super critical. A lot of my listeners are from India, but also it's super critical because it sets pricing expectations. Mm -hmm. And the Moto G G5, which is a entry-level Moto G uh, with 5G, now with a Snapdragon 750, which is the same chip as in the Mi 10T Lite that I'm playing with, which is Mm -hmm. the same phone as the Poco X3 NFC, but with 5G. That phone is $300, uh, roughly translated from... The Indian pricing, India pricing, which is, I mean, they're going down in price rapidly. And this is still a 700 series device. No, they're not, they didn't go down to the 690, like the Nord N10 5G. So kind of interesting that Moto is being aggressive here because Moto usually like, you think of Moto, you think Latin America, you think US, right? You don't think, yeah. you think maybe Europe a little bit, but you don't think India. So it's interesting to me that yeah. Moto is pushing there. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a market that they could take advantage of. They're very popular in Brazil. Um, and that's like probably their biggest market. So I I don't, I mean, I've, I can't pretend to know how the, if those markets are similar, (laughs) but, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like the reason why, like we were talking about earlier, like why Oppo and Realme do so well in, you know, China and India is because like the competition there for very good mid range and, and lower end phones is so much higher uh, I could see, I could see them being competitive, Motorola being competitive in India for that reason. Yeah, oh yeah. Because they do make quite good low-end phones. Exactly. And, and you know, but it's interesting to see how they're pushing in that direction. Uh, yeah. the, the Moto G 5G Plus came out in the summer. And that was essentially, if you compare it, it was similar to the Moto 1 5G that we got in the US, right? And... That was a Snapdragon 765 phone, not G, just the regular 765. And honestly, I reviewed it. It's not great, but it it was very very well rounded, which I really like. Like, it sucked equally in everything, and it was good equally in everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. 
And that's, I like phones that are really balanced like that. It's like, if you're going to suck a little bit, suck a bit of everything and then the price is lower and I get it, but don't suck at one thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that phone sucked. I'm just saying that it's interesting how it really met the expectation of its price point. Yeah. But in a very balanced way, right? Yeah. And, I, and so I assume that this G G5, which is a non-plus version, basically a detuned version of that, is is kind of further sliding the sliders down in every category to meet that yeah. price point. And I think that's yeah. that's fine. You know, I think that that is a challenge today to make phones uh, that work for people is, is that if you slide one slider too far down or slide it too far up, things just feel lopsided, right? Yeah, definitely. What's your current muse in terms of affordable phones? Um, if you have any, man. even theoretically, like just looking yeah. at the numbers. Gosh, what have I been... I feel like I've just reviewed so many flagships recently. Yeah, you need, <laughs> you need to go down into the trenches, my friend. I mean, can you consider... I mean, okay, here. One of my favorite phones of the year was the Pixel 4a. Yeah, well, there you go. That's a freaking good example. $350. Yeah. That, I would recommend that phone to anyone who doesn't need 5G and can live with a small phone any day. Same. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's not even... You know, it's, it's larger than the <laughs> iPhone 12 mini. Well, um, the iPhone 12 mini has now become the poster child of how you make a small phone, okay? Yeah, this is true. And, yes. and we're never going to see anything from Android world like it, ever. Like, it's yeah. never going to happen. The only company who can pull this off, in my opinion, is Apple, and it's because mm-hmm. of that vertical integration and economies of scale, right? Like, yeah. Android, like, even the cheapest Android, like that Poco M3 is a 6.5-inch screen. Like, it, it's yeah. massive to compare to a phone two years ago in that price category, you yeah. know? I think if I was going to like buy my own affordable phone, though, I'd buy a um, a Pixel three A or four A. Yeah, yeah, I think that would. It's be available it. in blue now too, so there's that. That'd be <laughs> it for me. If I was in the, if I had a little more money and I was in Europe, I would buy the Nord. And if I had, yeah. if I was in the US with a slightly bigger budget than the four A, I'd get the four A five G. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't like the size of the 4A 5G. It's too big for me. Yeah, it's the right size for me. Like, I feel like I could live with the 4A, but it's too small. I know you love mm. small phones. Like, for you, the mini is your thing. So I, I, I'm i yeah. impressed. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, in the Xperia 5 II is also insanely good, and I like that it's smaller as well. It's not quite as small, but it's smaller. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean... I, I want to see small phones on Android, but I'm not sure if it's going to happen. So yeah. I, I don't think they have much incentive to make it happen. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I'm wondering if Apple, the popularity of the mini will push will push them to do it, but we'll see. It'll take a year or two before we know. For sure. Well, so on that note, you know, I think for me, this Poco M3 is really interesting. It's got a couple of things it's missing that, I would love to see at this price point. NFC is not there. And most importantly, it has that 48 megapixel main sensor, but then it has two 2 megapixel, you know, what I like to call sticker cameras. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That might as well be stickers. A macro lens and a depth sensor. Now, the depth sensor, I'm sure, helps for portraits, but I would have loved to see an ultra-wide instead of those two. Yeah. Just like even a cheap 8 megapixel basic ultra-wide, even without low-light mode maybe potentially some phones don't have night mode on their ultra wide which is a bummer but at that price i would have been okay with that and then the display it's good for the price but yeah i feel like the uh, display is really what suffers the most here it's it's um viewing angles could be better it's it's a little it's the one thing that if you're used to even mid-range phones like the poco x3 nfc which is it's kind of like next tier up where you go like oh okay (laughs) yeah right (laughs) you know like it's 60 hertz, it's IPS, 
and 1080p, which at that price point is, you know, really rare. Most phones have 720p displays at that price point. Mm -hmm. They also put four gigs of RAM in instead of two gigs or three gigs. It's just common in that price point. So the combination of uh, Snapdragon 662, four gigs of RAM, 1080p display, 48 megapixel main camera is a pretty rare feat at 149. It was 129 during Black Friday too, which was crazy. Oh, wow. Cool. And 6,000 milliamp hour battery. Boom. Dang. That's nuts. I know, right? Wow. Yeah, check it out. If you, you know, you should just ping Xiaomi and get them to send you one just so you can experience life in the other <laughs> lanes for a minute. Yeah, I mean, again, like I, I love the, the 4A and I actually have just used that for like a week at a time randomly. Yeah, but the 4A is like, you know, it's $200 more than that. And it has a yeah. camera that plays with the flagships, right? So you're not yeah, sacrificing yeah. that much. I think you need to kind of go la- down low and see what the world is out there. And even if you don't <laughs> write anything about it, I'm sure that Xiaomi will send you one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Anyway, uh, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, your various social handles, and of sure. course, pimp out the Android authority? Yeah, sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at DurvidML, D-U-R-V-I-D-I-M-E-L. Uh, I am on Instagram at David ML. I've got a website, davidml.com. I write at androidauthority.com, and you can see most of my videos that I put on androidauthority.com on youtube.com slash androidauthority. Yeah, great videos. You should all check it out. Really like your stuff, David. Thank you. Folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankgirl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like Tankgirl, the comic book character, but without the vowels. And you can find me on that handle on Instagram and on Twitter. Twitter is where you want to go to comment about the podcast. If you want to express your thoughts like you would on a YouTube video, go to Twitter, tell me about it. I'd be happy to interact with you. And on Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures, both taken with phones that I'm reviewing and also of phones I'm reviewing. Hmm. So check that out. Uh, We have a couple of YouTube channels now for the podcast. There's youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast, which is the main channel where you'll find unboxing videos and other video complement to the show since the show is audio. If you want to see those phones we just talked about, like the Poco M3 and stuff, that's there. And then we have youtube.com slash mobile tech more. And this is a new channel we just started. Please subscribe if you can so we can build it up. It's about all the weird accessory world around mobile. Like we got a USB portable blender to play with. <laughs> and it's it's super cool because it's like the size of a basically like a, a water bottle and it charges with USB-C. That's the only tech thing about it, really. But it's so cool to have a blender and make margaritas wherever you want, basically. <laughs> and to go to the beach or something. And then, you know, we're looking at things like robot vacuums, uh, connected uh, air purifiers, uh, you know, anything that's kind of IoT, home automation accessory would fall in that in that category. So we're building it up. Please subscribe. Please like all that stuff on both channels. That'd be great. And then the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. So if you are just joining us today for the first time, please subscribe. There is an RSS feed there if you're old school, but also Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify. All these platforms have the show. Yeah, if you have the ability to rate the show or review the show on whatever podcast platform you use, please consider that. It really helps uh, kind of guide the rest of the world. And finally, there's a donate link in the show notes. By the way, the show notes is where you'll find a lot of links to the things we talked about today. Check them out because that's where you'll find, for example, David's story around the Snapdragon 888 imaging and all that. And of course, that donate link I just mentioned is there. So if you can donate, it's a PayPal link. 
we'd appreciate it. And finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible is the platform for audiobooks. If you love reading as much as I do, if you want to listen to books instead of read them, they're the place to go. And you can help them by helping us or help us by helping them by joining, basically. Uh, there is a link, audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech if you click through that and uh, join audible you help the show you don't have to stick around if you don't like it but it's a 30-day free trial you get a free book at the end it's a pretty good deal and it helps the podcast and it helps audible and so everybody wins if you're wondering uh, about audible and you want to know a bit more well it's a really great platform for audiobooks they have a huge selection i love that a lot of books are read by the authors some of these books are epic like we did the star wars series when we were road tripping pre-covid and it was like 12 hours of listening of one book it's like much different format and experience than listening to a one-hour podcast so if you love listening to things and you just want to kind of like cozy up and not really read a book but kind of like tune into it this is the way to do it audible's got you covered audibletrial.com slash mobile tech thanks to audible because they've been with us since the early days of the show and we love them so thanks again and david thank you one more time for being on the show really appreciate you being here of course thank you for having me and we also want to thank ziad ashgar of qualcomm for joining us earlier and folks, that's it. We'll have another show next week, so stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.